For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. If you've ever had a backache, you know it impacts your whole body. That's also how resentment works, affecting your whole life. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you break resentment's painful grip so you can fully embrace a life of agape love. From the series, The Power of Love, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, Love's Power Over Resentment. Well, friends, we are talking about some very important issues during this series, which is based on 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And uh, we're learning how powerful love is, how when love is present, other things can exist in its presence, that love really, uh, agape love dominates every situation. So if you're dealing with resentment in your life, uh, you might want to go and look and find out whether or not agape love has gone out the other door. Because when you love, when you have love as who you are in Christ, uh, it finds a way around uh, long-standing resentments. We have more to say about that today. Hey, don't forget tomorrow we're going to talk about love's power over negative attitudes. And on Friday, part one of love's power over discouragement. Friends, we're going to the Caribbean in December, and I want to tell you how wonderful it is to do this. On December 27th, 2023 to the 7th of January, 2024, we will be aboard a cruise ship visiting some of the greatest ports of call in the beautiful blue waters of Caribbean. And along with us will be Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, and the Martins. Uh, We want you to know that uh, there's still room for you to come on this conference cruise. We kind of close out uh, the old year and open our minds to the new year. I'm even going to do a session this time on how you plan for a year uh, from a pastor's perspective, but it also works in business. We're going to do a whole session on how you look forward to the future and how you try to get a grip on what you think God might want to do in you and through you in the year ahead. And we'll talk more about that later. But I hope you will come and join us as we finish up 23 and begin 24 in the Caribbean. Information is available at davidjeremiah.org. Well, let's begin our discussion. We're in 1 Corinthians 13 and dealing with life issues. So listen up, get your Bible, but take some notes, and let's study God's Word. The question is, why was forgiving harder than saving Ingle's life. It was too much for the man. He couldn't do it because his hatred had become a passion that he had played with so long that it had actually become a part of him personally. You talk about the price of resentment. And as I tell that story, I see some of you nodding your heads acknowledgement that you know people like that whose whole life is built around one basic truth and that is their hatred for someone else. Maybe it's a woman here whose husband has left. And try as you may to forgive that man for the terrible thing he did. You can't. 
And your whole life has come to be built around the resentment and the hatred you have for him for what he has done. Or it could be reversed. Maybe it's a man whose wife ran off from him, violating the closest relationship known to humanity. And you've just never been able to forgive. So every day, day after day, you replay the tapes in your mind of your hatred and your resentment. And it's like an acid that's eating out your soul to the point where it will destroy you and totally make it impossible for you to function. You see, the tragedy for Moreau was this. The one thing that could have set him free, he was unwilling to do. The one thing that could have taken from him the problem that he had fought with, he could not bring himself to do. He could not forgive. Someone has written about resentment that sometimes it only nibbles at the edges of your heart. It does not always burn out the lining of your soul. Sometimes it only asks that the hated person stay away from you for a while. It does not always go for the jugular. But whether your hate is a carcinoma growing hell-bent for death inside your soul or only a pesty heartburn, it will hurt you if you do not use the right remedy. Your healing may take heroic surgery of the soul. Then again, you may get by with a quick cauterization, but eventually unchecked hate will do you in. Resentment is hatred gone underground, being stored up beneath the surface because forgiveness and reconciliation has not taken place. Now the question that we have to answer is what do we do about it? And I want to give you very quickly five things, five things to do. They're real easy to remember and they will work not only for the long-term resentments that may be plaguing your life, but they will work for any kind of anger and hatred that has interrupted your peace with God. Step number one, think it through. Why do we harbor resentment? Why do we do it? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought it through? Why you enjoy keeping all of that hatred down inside of you? Well, let me give you some reasons that come out of the studies that have been done on the subject. There are four or five reasons why we harbor resentment. One of them is it makes us feel superior to the one we resent. We enjoy the noble feeling of being the decent person who was wrongfully treated. And somehow when we think that way, it elevates us above the one that we resent. And it's kind of a feeling of superiority. That's why we do it. Sometimes we do it because it allows us to indulge our minds in exquisite plots of revenge. All of us have done this in lower levels. Hopefully not too many of us at the top level. But have you ever been in a conflict and uh, you walk away from the conflict you get in your car to drive home and on the way home out loud you rehearse what you wish you would have said right I mean the guy might he's not even anywhere he's back there where you left him there's nobody in the car but you but you're driving the people are looking at you as you go on a highway you're mad and you're angry and you're chewing this guy out you are rehearsing your hatred and resentment toward that man now, once you get it out of your system, if you can let it go, fine. But if you keep doing that over and over and again, 
If you keep planning these intricate, exotic plots to get... I was preaching on this, and I touched on it, and a woman came out of the service. She said to me at the door, you just destroyed the last two weeks of my life. And I said to her, why? She said, for the last two weeks, I have lived for nothing more than to plot how I was going to get even with my husband, who had left her. And the plot was going into practice the next day, and she said, you destroyed the whole thing. She was mad at me. She was mad at me because I took all of her past two weeks away. She had lived for nothing else but to get even, and she found out from the Word of God she couldn't do that. Resentment, you see, is a kind of thing we play with in our minds, and there's sort of a sadistic pleasure in it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Have you ever? Well, sure you have. (laughs) Husbands and wives. She didn't do what she was supposed to do. She wasn't where she was supposed to be. She gets in the car. You don't say a word. Oh, but if she could hear what you were saying in your head. Whew. I mean, the resentment. And she's never heard anything like that from you, what you're saying in your head. And that's all right if you dismiss it and get it out of your system. But when you keep playing it back over and over again, just like a worn-out tape. The third thing I've noticed as you think it through is you need to remember that when you do it, you do it because it makes you feel superior. You do it so you can indulge your mind in plots that occupy your time. The third thing is it lets you remember past wounds so that you can hurt yourself. Resentment basically is sort of a neurotic desire on the part of the resenter to inflict pain on himself. It is a strange way to learn to enjoy your resentment. Somebody said, resentment is bittersweet. And we lay in bed and we play the event or the circumstance over and over again because we get some sort of sordid pleasure out of it. We find ourselves, now now watch this, you're going to be caught right here. Something happens to you that's unjust, or at least in your mind that's unjust. What do you do? You tell everybody you're close to what happened, right? You tell it over and over and over and over again. You go to work, the first thing you see Sally, you say, Sally, you are not going to believe what that turkey did to me this weekend. You get her in a corner with a cup of coffee and you rehearse it. You have barely moved away from that conversation. You go sit at your desk and the girl sitting next to you. You lean over and say, I got to talk to you as soon as I get a chance. She thinks you got good news. And as soon as you know you have a moment, you lean over and you tell it to her again. What are you doing? You are driving the track of your resentment deeper and deeper and deeper into your mind. Every time you tell somebody what somebody did to you that was unjust, you make the recording a little more difficult to erase until the resentment is so deep, only a miracle of God's grace can deal with it. You need to tell it to the Lord one time and get it out of your system. I've written some letters in response to letters that I've gotten, and my secretaries won't let it go out. They read it and say, Pastor, maybe you better pray about this. <laughs> and my wife does the same thing, and I thank God for that because, you know, we get a little bit of uh, ventilation for our anger. Writing the letter's good for you. You get it out of your system, right? But you don't want to send it. <laughs> think it through. Just think for a moment about resentment and what it's doing to you and why you're doing it. Resentment gives us two things, basically. It gives us neurotic pleasure and religious pride all wrapped up in one. 
Think it through. This is what you're doing. Now let me give you point number two. Write it down. Do you know why you're resentful? If you've got a problem with resentment, you go home, get a blank sheet of paper, and I want you to write at the top of the paper, this is why I am filled with resentment. Then underneath that, you write it out the best you know how. I am filled with resentment for the following reasons. And then when you get all done, read it over. Look at it full in the face. Don't try to make a better case than you should. Don't make the person that you're angry with more evil than he already is. Just put the facts down as they are. Read them over to yourself. And first of all, you will feel better for having written it down. The second thing you will discover is this. You will discover some discrepancies between what your honesty lets you write down on the paper and what your mind has been letting you believe as you play it over each day. Get it all out. After a day or so, look it over again and see if it's really the truth. Write it down. Find out why you're so filled with resentment. I love what I read in one of Charlie Shedd's books. He reports that one night he and his wife had a real wing-ding fight. The next day he came into the kitchen and tacked on the counter where he usually went to get his mail was this note. Dear Charlie, I hate you. Love, Martha. Well, she wrote it down. You see, that's how she was feeling. And in that context, he could help. He could understand that. He could accept it. Write it down. Now, let me give you a third thought that works for anger. Work it out. I see guys walking up the campus every day with their tennis rackets, some of our profs. And I asked one of them the other day, are you going up and take out your anger on that poor tennis ball? He laughed. He said, boy, yeah, it's great for the soul. Some of you play racquetball and you go out there and you hit that ball. You don't care if you win or not. You're punishing that ball. <laughs> Just gets all that anger out of your system. And there's truth to the fact that exercise is a, is a good thing. I remember a couple that Donna and I knew when we were in seminary. They were our close friends. And the woman in the relationship, the, the wife, had a violent, violent problem with anger. And when her husband would do something she didn't like, she couldn't handle it any other way so she moved all the furniture in the house that's how she ventilated her anger so you know the funny thing about it is as we got to know them when we'd go visit them we could tell that they'd had a fight since we were been there before <laughs> all the furniture in the living room was in a different place and the kitchen was all changed around and we'd walk in and look around and, and Donna would say well see you guys haven't been getting along again <laughs> there's an old story about a man and a woman who'd been married for 50 years and somebody asked them the secret of their marital bliss. Well, the man said, the wife and I had an agreement when we first got married. And the agreement was that when she was bothered about something, she would just tell me off and get it out of her system. And if I was mad at her about something, I was to take a walk. He said, I suppose you can attribute our marital success to the fact that I have largely led an outdoor life. <laughs> But you know, there is advantage in trying to work through it and getting involved in it, especially with the problem of anger. There are much better ways to deal with anger than to ventilate it on somebody else. So work it out. Number four, talk it over. Do you have a friend that lets you get angry with him about somebody else? Oh, that's a wonderful thought. You can get it all out without ever hurting anybody. Now, you don't want to do this over and over again, and I've already told you that every time you tell it, you indelibly impress it upon your heart. But let me tell you, sometimes when you're having a problem with someone and the resentment begins to build, it's just good to sit down with a friend and let him hear what's in your heart. And if he's a faithful friend, 
he will probably say something like this, Jeremiah, don't you think you're overreacting? Hmm. I sure understand how you feel, but maybe you better just think that through again. I don't think it's nearly as bad as you think it is. Oh, thank God for friends like that. And of course, that's what we're supposed to do with our marital partners. That's how we're supposed to respond to each other. The Bible tells us in Ephesians, we're never to let the sun go down upon our anger. Do you know what that is? That is the absolute preventative measure for keeping out of the resentment trap. You know what that means? That means that if you take that principle at face value, it is absolutely impossible for you ever to suffer with resentment against your partner. If you always talk it out before you go to bed, you will never have resentment. I heard of a couple that said they worked that principle through and it was a great blessing. He said, of course, we had a lot of nights when neither one of us slept, but we did it all right. Talk it out. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Philip's translation puts it this way. If you are angry, be sure it's not out of wounded pride or bad temper. Don't ever go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of a foothold. Oh, that's great advice. What are these principles? First of all, think it through. Write it down. Work it out. Talk it over. And last and most important of all, give it up. Two little boys had been quarreling as they played. The next morning, Johnny took his cap and he headed for Bobby's again. Surprised were the older members of his house, and one of them finally said to Johnny teasingly, Oh, are you going to play with him again? I thought you said you'd never play with him again after what happened yesterday. Johnny looked a little sheepish. He dug his toes into the carpet, and for a moment he didn't know what to say. Then he flashed a smile and he said, Oh, Bobby and me's good forgetters. (laughs) That's it, isn't it? One time when we were building a building back in the Midwest, my office was in a place that was very close to where the Masons were working on the walls of the new addition. And I don't know what in the world was the matter with that Masonry crew, but they fought like cats and dogs. And they fought in language that I'm not used to hearing through the windows of my study. And some days my study would be totally interrupted as those people would be after each other and you would think the way they talked to each other sometimes before they left that they would never speak to one another again. The next morning they'd walk to work with their lunch pail like nothing had ever happened and get right back to work. You know what I thought? I thought, why can't Christians who have the power of the Holy Spirit be good forgetters like that? The world does that a lot better than many of us do. I mean, they let it all out, and the next day it's like nothing ever happened. Give it up. I read that a friend of Clara Barton, who was the founder of the American Red Cross, once reminded her of an especially cruel thing that someone had done to her years before. And Miss Barton couldn't remember what it was. Don't you remember, her friend said? No, she said, I distinctly remember forgetting it. (laughs) That's it, isn't it? Just forget it. Abraham Lincoln was characterized by Emerson like this. They said his heart was as great as the world, but there was no room in it to hold the memory of any wrong. Just forget it. Give it up. Turn it loose. Scottish theologian H.R. McIntosh talks about forgiveness this way. He says, forgiveness is an active process of the mind and temper of a wronged person by means of which he abolishes a moral hindrance to the fellowship with the wrongdoer 
and establishes the freedom and the happiness of a friendship. It's a choice you have to make. One of the best illustrations of the power of forgiveness comes out of the life story of Corey Ten Boom. Many of us have watched her life in film and read her great books, Now with the Lord. Corey was liberated, as most of you know, from a Nazi concentration camp a few days after the Allies conquered Germany. But it took her a lot longer to be liberated from the simmering hatred that had developed in her own heart for all of the things that had happened to her while she was behind bars. But she decided by an act of the will that she would set out on the forgiving journey, and she determined that no matter how hard it was, she would forgive, and she determined to preach that message wherever she went. She believed that she had discovered in her own life the only power that could heal the history of hurt and hate for the people of Europe. So she preached the possibilities of forgiveness everywhere. She preached it in Holland and in France and then even in Germany, too. In Munich one Sunday, she preached forgiving. She preached it to all those German people who were so eager to be forgiven. Outside, after the service was over, a major drama of the human spirit unfolded. A man walked over to her, reached out his hand to her, expecting her to take it. He said, Ja, Fräulein ten Boom, I am so glad that Jesus forgives all of our sin just as you say. Corey knew him. She remembered how she was forced to take showers with the other women prisoners while this beast looked on, a leering, mocking Superman, guarding helpless, naked women. Corey remembered that. He put his hand close to her and her own hand froze at her side. She could not lift it. She could not forgive. Here she had been preaching it to all of these people and confronted with it now, she could not forgive. And she was stunned and terrified by her own weakness. What could she do? She who had been so sure that she had overcome the deep hurt and the pain of her desperate hate what could she do now that she was confronted by a man that she could not forgive? She prayed, Jesus, I can't forgive this man. Please forgive me for not forgiving him. And all of it once, in some wonderful way that she could not even later describe, that she was not prepared for, she felt forgiven. Forgiven for not forgiving. And at that moment, in the power of the Holy Spirit, her hand went up, took the hand of her enemy, and released him. In her heart, she freed him up from his terrible past, and she freed herself up from hers as well. The evil that others do to us is often written in bold ink, but love has a way of erasing it all out of the journal. The same blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses out our sins is powerful enough to cleanse the sins and the wrongs done by others. Literally, what the Scripture teaches us to do is this. What Christ's blood has done for you, let his love in you do for others. And Paul, writing to the Ephesians, summarized it in this verse. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. 
forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Some of you are bound in the chains of resentment. The acid of that sin is literally eating away at your insides. It's taken the joy out of your life. It's taken the smile off of your face. It's poisoned your home and the people around you are suffering because of what you are harboring underground in unforgiveness. The Bible says, love thinketh no wrong. Love does not calculate the wrongs done to it. Love forgives and goes on. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I hope you found a few things in these last two days that help you. If you are yourself resentful or if you're dealing with resentment in others. Don't forget, tomorrow we're going to talk about love's power over negative attitudes. Have you noticed we have become a much more negative culture than ever before? The Bible predicts that will happen. I remember um, presenting a message on the 19 things that are true of the people who live in the last days, and all of them, practically all of them, are negative. And uh, if you're a positive person, you need to really work hard to maintain your positivity and limit the number of people who suck your positivity out of you when you're around them, because negative people over a long period of time can get to you. Your friends matter. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Don't forget to order your copy of the calendar for next year, which is our resource for the month. You can initiate that process today when you send a gift to Turning Point and simply say, please send me the new calendar. And uh, we'll be right here on this good station to continue our discussion of the power of love in your life. I'm David Jeremiah. Thank you for listening. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How is God blessing you through Turning Point? Let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2024. Focused on God's enduring faithfulness, the unchanging promises of God. Yours for a gift of any amount. You can also view over 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's sermons on any screen anytime you like on our Turning Point Plus streaming service. For a monthly gift of any amount, visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Power of Love, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Christmas will be here before you know it. So now is the time to prepare your heart with a timeless devotional written by Dr. David Jeremiah called Season of Joy. Enter the Christmas season with restored hope, resounding joy, reassuring peace, and renewed faith. This inspirational book is yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a four-pack to share the season of joy with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. 
A father-son team recently developed an electronic gadget for surfers and swimmers to wear in order to repel sharks. It sends out an electric signal that sharks apparently find irritating, making them swim away. Neutralizing dangerous predators is also helpful in the spiritual life. For example, causing Satan to flee when he's primed to attack. The Apostle James wrote that if we resist the devil by submitting ourselves to God, Satan is forced to flee from us. Like a shark being irritated by electrical signals, Satan hates it when our lives are fully submitted to God and fully clothed in the spiritual armor God provides. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's defense against Satan on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.